Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined with the by the cat bomb pop T-shirt. Rob Dunham. Love it. Yes. Cat riding a popsicle. What could be more patriotic? I agree. I love it. Nothing. Stuff. Nothing could be more patriotic. <laughs> I submit. There is no. <laughs> <laughs> Well, welcome to the show. We've got a great episode in store for you. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Top Gun and uh, its continued success. Um, but is there an issue on the horizon? Jurassic World Dominion comes out this week. We'll talk about what we expect from that. Uh, we'll give you what to watch on Disney Plus and Peacock. We'll do a full breakdown of Top Gun. And if we get a chance, we are going to talk about three-hour movies and the best ones. And should there be three-hour movies? I don't know. We'll see if we got time for that one. But let's do it. All right, Rob. Uh, let's start with the box office results. Uh, so for the box office, we have an interesting uh, numbers here. And... Uh, to nobody's surprise, Top Gun Maverick once again took the home the top spot. The question always was, what type of drop-off would there be? And the answer is, not that much. Not that much at all. So uh, Top Gun Maverick had $90 million in its second week, which if I'm remembering correctly, the, other, the closest another big movie came with $75 million. I, I think I have that figure. I think it was Batman. But I could be wrong on that front uh, with the week two being 75 miles. So 90 million for Batman to take the top spot. Doctor Strange stayed in number two at 9.2 million. Bob's Burgers in three at 4.6. The bad guys still hanging around at 3.3 million. And Downton Abbey at 3.2 million. Uh, also of note here is uh, one of the films we talked about last week. Um, and that was, which I'm not blanking out on all of a sudden, uh, Crimes of the Future uh, came in at 1.1 million in its first week in the box office, which uh, may be close to its last week in the box office with that kind of performance. Yeah. Uh, so, Rob, what did you make of, of the results for Top Gun and anything else on the list? Well, Top Gun is pretty impressive that it only dropped by that much. Um, I think, I think I saw it was like somewhere in the 20 to 35% range, somewhere in there. Yeah. And most movies have been dropping like 50 plus yeah. percent their second week. So to only drop that much is pretty significant. I believe I read that, um, Korea has not even opened the movie yet. And that was one of the best, um, uh, countries for like the mission impossible movies. So they're expecting it to do. A lot of money there. I think this movie appears to be well on track to um, break a billion dollars worldwide. Um, and I think domestically, it, it could. Uh, I I could realistically see it threatening five hundred million, yeah. if not more, um, because I think it's going to stay in the theater for a while, and I think people are going to continue to go see it. Um, I think we'll break it down a little bit more since we both watched it. Um, but I'm not surprised at the success that it's had. Uh, I think it's worthy of 
the reception it's received. Um, honestly, was a little surprised by it myself uh, pleasantly, and that doesn't happen super often when you go to the movies and you're expecting something and something else happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's. I I think what you see here is definitely the word of mouth effect. Everyone who went weekend one said, hey, this is an awesome movie. And so everyone who didn't get a chance to see it then was like, well, I'm going to make a point to go see it now. And uh, this was not just a question of diehard seeing it and then everyone else gets around to it when they get the chance. This is one that I think everyone wants to see. I think what told me this was going to do well in week two is that my mom texted me about this movie. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, have you seen Top Gun? My mom saw the movie before I did. And my mom's like, I'll watch, I'll watch your baby if you and your wife want to go see this movie. And I'm like, if my mom is excited <laughs> about Top Gun, this is going to do really, really well. I mean, my mom who watches <laughs> like Hallmark movies all the time wanted to see Top Gun <laughs> and loved it. Uh, you know, you know, it's going to have a broad wide-ranging appeal at that point yeah yeah uh, so something go yeah. ahead go no you go if, if you're gonna talk about top gun more go ahead have something else to talk about. um so no, i was gonna kind of move on a little bit too okay so something that's not in the box office results that happened this week which is amazing and hilarious and a little bit sad <laughs> <laughs> is that Sony decided to release re-release Morbius into the theater yeah. for some reason because I guess they saw online that people were talking about Morbius and thought, well, people are excited about Morbius, but really people were just making fun of Morbius. Yes. So they released the movie in a thousand theaters and it made eighty-two thousand dollars. Yes. That's like one which person is, per theater. Yes, which <laughs> <laughs> Which is literally like five to six tickets per theater. Yeah. And that would be for all the shows in every theater. So like a person went to each of the shows in each theater. Yep. (laughs) This is a classic case of a studio not understanding when people are making fun of them. I mean, they saw a bunch of online memes and decided, hey, people want to see this movie. No people did see the movie and thought it was horrendous and therefore just spend the whole time online making fun of it. And the fact that Sony was not aware of that, how exactly? I don't understand how anyone suggested this and how anyone agreed to do it after it was suggested. Yeah. But maybe they thought people would go see the movie ironically. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Because ironic money is just as good as, uh, you know, intentional money. I don't know. Yeah. But like like the time that Seinfeld returned a jacket for spite and they wouldn't let him. Yeah. It's just it's just hilarious to me that this kind of thing could actually happen right now. Yeah. Like the, the studio could make such a, a tone deaf decision. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it, it goes to show you that not everyone who works in the movie industry is a genius. No, definitely not. <laughs> not um my my thing in it on a different subject uh involves crimes of the future and the 1.1 million that it generated and i have i have a a theory somewhat newly formed that is not uh that is not 
entirely original and not entirely you know fully articulated yet that i'll spend a little just a minute or two on uh my theory is that the box office where its status is right now is akin to the failure of shopping malls but the rise of shopping complexes now i'll explain what that means uh shopping malls are basically like destinations i'm going to go there and then i'm going to browse and i'll go into whatever stores happen to interest me as i pass them whereas shopping centers are destination stores you go there for a specific store and a specific place pre-pandemic the box office used to be people's routine was hey it's the weekend i'll go to the movies and then deciding that ahead of time and then deciding to see something that happened to be out in the theaters this week. What I think the situation is now is post pandemic, people no longer just like, well, I'm just going to go to the movies this weekend. Now they will only show up to the movies when there is a specific movie that they want to see, which is why the tent pole movies are doing really, really well because people are like, Oh, I want to go to the theaters to see that movie. And the lesser down ballot ones are not doing well because people are not just showing up and watching them because they happen to be in theaters. Yeah. I, I think that I, uh, I see the merit in that thought and I agree with it. So that's, that's, that's my thought process on that process on that, but we got a lot. Yeah, definitely interesting thing to flush out a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to keep thinking about that. Okay. Uh, so before we move on to what's coming out this week, uh, mainly Jurassic Park. Uh, I wanted to get to this story. Uh, there's a lawsuit on the horizon uh, for Top Gun Maverick. And it is basically the family of, of a guy who um, wrote a 1983 magazine article uh, called Top Guns, which is part of the inspiration for the original movie, uh, is alleging that Top Gun Maverick failed to reacquire the license from them in order to produce the movie. It's a little complicated as all these things are, but basically it's alleging that the studio lost the copyright in January, 2020, and the film was completed in May, 2021. So the argument is that they would need to reacquire the license. And yeah, it's a little complicated. Uh, basically, it's hard to say who's right in this, but that's the basic idea is that uh, that's the basic claim is that they failed to reacquire the license and therefore are in violation of copyright. And so the estate is suing. They attempted to try and get the release blocked, which would have been. Ugh. Uh, but what do you what do you make of this? Um, I think it's pretty laughable. They think they can get the movie to be taken out of theaters. Yeah. Because that's never going to happen. No. <laughs> so I imagine when um, the studio executives saw that part of things, they basically replied with an LOL <laughs> um, crying, laughing face emoji yeah. to, uh, to the people who asked for that. Um, whether or not there will be any monetary damages assessed who knows but i think in the grand scheme of things it's gonna be insignificant yep so i i really don't think this is a huge deal yep 
Um, and I don't think it will become a, a huge deal. I These agree. things pretty much never do, even it's if there is solid evidence that something was uh, taken. This is going to involve Paramount writing a check to this family for them to go away and then be done with it. And so I don't expect to hear anything about this going forward, uh, especially not anything blocking anything going forward for Paramount or for the movie. All right. Just thought I should mention that. All right. So let's uh, let's get to the main release of this week. And that is, of course, Jurassic World Dominion, uh, the sixth Jurassic Park movie. And one that is it's the third of the Jurassic World uh, trilogy. And it's supposed to potentially be a wrap up to the entire Jurassic Park saga. Uh, what the, what are you thinking about? Jurassic World Dominion. What are you hoping for? What are you expecting? So it's kind of funny that we talked when we talked about Top Gun. I said that my expectations were not very high, and then I was pleasantly surprised because um, with Jurassic World, despite my evidence to the contrary from the first two movies, I have high expectations <laughs> because I really, really like the Jurassic Park series. Um, and I don't think the first two, the first couple Jurassic World movies are bad, um, especially in comparison to a lot of other movies. But I also don't think they were to the standard of the original three. Um, so it's hard. It's hard for me to know what to expect because I, I have high expectations, but I feel like I might be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> by it so like this is one that i want to see opening night like i'm excited about this um to see what they do with combining the old cast and the new cast to see where the storyline goes with that to see you know what what's actually going to happen because when you see the trailers for a movie like this you think you have it figured out but really you've only seen about three or four minutes of the movie mm-hmm total probably across three or four trailers because a lot of the stuff is reused a lot of the stuff is out of context a lot of the stuff at times can be cut to intentionally mislead you on what's happening so um it looks like dinosaurs are getting loose and like invading the entire world yeah so i think that's where this is going but we'll, we'll just have to see what happens and I'm really I'm really uh, intrigued by how they bring the characters from the original one back like what is it that brings them back how are they contacted um, do they just insert themselves into the story because of, the, of there being a problem are they are they um, recruited again like what happens exactly so I, I think there's a lot of potential for this to be a really interesting movie, mm-hmm. especially if you have been into the whole series from the beginning. Yeah. But I also think there's potential for it to not be very good. So I'm, I don't know. I'm optimistic and concerned. <laughs> interesting. Interesting dichotomy there. Uh, yeah. I think, I think the struggle is like the basic premise 
I think, and you even saw this back in the third Jurassic Park movie, is you only, you have to keep inventing ways about why people would continue to still make mistakes with dinosaurs. And, and so you saw that that was basically the plot of the second Jurassic Park movie, which is, uh, what are you doing? You guys are idiots. How would you make the same mistake again? And so with the third movie, they had to basically invent a reason why they would have to go back to the island. And then um, for the Jurassic World movies, it starts out with, oh, okay, we figured this out. Oh, wait, no, you haven't. So I think there's a basic struggle with how would, why do, why and how do people keep needing to do this? And, and so if they can overcome that plot standpoint, I think there's a chance for it to be a pretty good movie. Um, the question always is when you, and we'll talk about this when we get to Top Gun, when you go for the nostalgia feel, mainly bringing back a lot of the original characters, um, are you going to do it in a productive, healthy way, or is it just simply fodder uh, to gain audiences and it's just represents uh, a lack of imagination when it comes to writing and, and filmmaking? Uh, but I would say I'm leaning slightly more on the positive side of this one, uh, but I'm not I'm not sure about it. I'm not quite as excited for this one as I as I was for Top Gun. So we'll see. Uh, what's your guess on box office numbers for this? Considering Top Gun is still out, mm -hmm. um, I would expect that to drop a bit. So I'm wondering how much... So the, the question when it comes to box office then is how much is available yeah. Share between these movies. Yeah. Um, with the reception Top Gun got, it's hard to imagine that Jurassic World would make less than 100, I think, mm. because I think there's a huge audience for it. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people who went and saw Top Gun saw the trailer for Jurassic World also. And I know of I know several people I've talked to who are interested in going to see it now that they saw that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there is some word of mouth feel that way to things. Mm -hmm. I I guess if I had to guess, I would say somewhere between ninety and one hundred and twenty is what I would guess. Um, again, the big question is how much how much is actually available out there if Top Gun is going to do another 50 or so million dollars? You know, how much, how many people are actually going to go out to the theater? All right. I'm, I'm going to let you get away with the $30 million guess there, a $30 million range guess, because I'm going in a different well, direction than you. Well, uh, it's all based around the $100 million mark. So yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm going 75 mil. I'm going 75 mil. I think, I think it does decent, but I don't think it blows away the box office. I think Top Gun is still too popular and is going to draw too much of the audiences. And I'm looking at this as a case of, like we're saying with the tent pole theory, I don't think there's been enough space between Top Gun and Jurassic uh, World 
uh, for it to claim the entire box office audience. Therefore, I think it's going to hurt its box office opening release. And so you're only going to get the people who have already seen Top Gun Maverick. Because uh, I think if it comes down to a choice between Top Gun Maverick and Jurassic World, I think the if it comes down to who's who's going to the theater that day, you if you haven't seen Top Gun, you're going to that. So that's my theory on this one. And so I'm going 75 mil for uh, Jurassic World. Well, I'll just lock in 100 then, just okay. to be fair. Fair enough. All right. Okay, so let's move on to our discussion and. And for discussion purposes, let's we're going to talk about Top Gun Maverick. And we had to wait for uh, Rob to see it uh, for us to get our full breakdown in. Uh, I did also write a full uh, review of it for filmfans.com. If you have not had a chance to, you can go check that out. But we're going to get into a little bit of the discussion element of it. Uh, so let's first start off, as we normally do, with a spoiler-free uh, quick take as to what we thought about the movie. How about it, Rob? So I would say that if I had to give a little synopsis of my thoughts on the movie, I would say that it was an artful, um, an artful outworking of trying to combine nostalgia with present day in a way that I have not really seen many movies do. Um, talked often about when you're making a sequel to a movie, especially with time removed, how do you reference it without it being like lame? Um, and I think more than any movie I have seen, this one accomplishes that. Mm -hmm. Uh, the two big questions for me around this film were, um, was it going to be able to attract a new audience or just people who like the original? And would they be able to navigate, as you were talking about, would they be able to navigate what I'm calling the nostalgia aspect of it without completely relying on it? Uh, and on both those counts, I think this hit a home run. Uh, it's something that absolutely speaks to multiple generations. Everyone can enjoy this film. And they do tread the fine line of using the original film as a template or as a as backdrop, as as preface, without getting so caught up in it needing to look exactly like how the previous film looked. Uh, they did just enough to remind you that this is this is a Top Gun movie. Uh, but we're able to craft a unique original story that stands out on its own. Uh, and I think that's, I think that's incredibly difficult to do. And I was pleased that it did it. Okay. So let's get into the, let's get into the full breakdown. This is your spoiler alert. If you have not seen Top Gun Maverick, you can skip ahead to the next part. Uh, look in the comments and it'll tell you how far to skip ahead, but we're going to get into some specifics. Okay, Rob, what, what were some things that stood out to you? What, what really worked for you about this movie? Um, I think the first thing that jumped out to me, which I was not surprised by because I kind of went in expecting it, was um, just the really well-done action sequences mm -hmm. in the movie. 
Uh, I was very impressed by the air choreography, how things were shot. Um, realizing that obviously Tom Cruise and these actors didn't actually fly these planes. Um, they made a really good, they did a really good job of making it feel like they were. Yeah. Um, so it, it felt um, realistic um, that the things were happening, which I think is not an easy thing to pull off mm-hmm. when it comes to that kind of um, it's pretty wild concept. So yeah, uh, that was one thing that stood out to me. And I think the other main, the other main thing that really jumped out of me was the acting performances felt sincere, mm-hmm. which is another very difficult thing to do in a movie like this. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason, giant blockbuster movies, a lot of the time, uh, performances can feel over the top or um, the other way that they're not quite believable. Yeah. Um, especially when you're dealing with some of this, the um, story lines thematically in this movie, mm-hmm. like a kid's dad um, who died. And now the kid is there and having to deal with the person who he holds responsible for his dad dying. That's like pretty emotional stuff. So there's a really fine line between, that being um, believable and grounded and being um, over the top or not quite enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think along those lines, I think all of the acting performances were spot on. Uh, Tom Cruise, you know, stepped right into the role of Maverick, uh, played that to perfection. Even some of the smaller characters, and I say smaller in quotes, but like John Hamm was an excellent foil uh, to provide some tension uh, to the overall, the overall Top Gun school element to it. Uh, Jennifer Connelly was understated and excellent. Like she was very believable in that role. Um, I have, we can get to the system we talk about now. I have slight quibbles with them, how, how they did that, but that was more from a story writing standpoint than nothing to do with her performance. Um, Miles Teller is a good actor. And I think one of the things that Miles Teller is good at is condescension and attitude (laughs) this is like almost all of his roles does he have to do this sort of attitude kind of condescension arrogance to some to some degree but he was able to balance that in this case with a little bit of understated um lack of confidence uh, understated history to it you could tell that his past is affecting him without it without it, without him having to draw too much attention to it. Yeah. Uh, what else stood out to you? Um, I thought the story in general was just a well-written story, mm-hmm. which I think was one of the big questions going into it, because what kind of story do you write Yeah. after the original one? Because um, it obviously can't, I think I think the thing we were concerned about was that it might be just like a repeat of the original story or just like an echo of it. And I think they did a good job of adding different and higher stakes to what was going on. Yeah. And making a movie that could really stand on its own. I think that even if you hadn't seen the original one, you could still connect to this one mm-hmm. because they I felt like they did a good job of when there was something relevant to the original movie, they they seemed like they did a really good job of 
um, showing like a flashback or making it, you know, obvious what was going on, even if you hadn't seen it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the standout ways is how they used the nostalgia. Like you have an immediately you've got the danger zone theme comes back. Um, you see Tom Cruise in his, in his leather jacket, you know, cruising a motorcycle up the jetway, chasing a plane. Um, they used, they used great balls of fire, but they used it in a very different way. So you, you got, you got the nostalgia effect, callback of the memorable scene, but they used it, they used it to create a, a completely different emotional element. Uh, so I, I just thought that was so expertly, expertly done. And then the whole Iceman thing with Val Kilmer, I, I was just so impressed by what they did with that. And, and that felt so powerful for reasons beyond simply uh, the film itself and bringing back a, a, a key character. What, what did you think of, of the use of Val Kilmer and, and the Iceman character? I think it was um, pretty amazing what they ended up doing. If you don't know, um, they used uh, an artificial intelligence to recreate or create like an older Val Kilmer voice based on listening to like tens of thousands of hours of his acting mm-hmm. in the past because uh, he can't currently speak because of the throat cancer he's dealt with, which yeah. is a wild thing. And I think that the way they did that um, definitely added weight to that whole sequence. Um, Mm-hmm. And it was, it sounds silly to say it was good to hear his voice when it's not kind of not his voice, but it was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it was good to see him on the screen again, for sure. And I, I'm sure that that was a very emotional, um, very emotional moment for Tom Cruise. And I think you could see that in how that whole scene was, uh, was produced. Yeah, there's just such a genuineness and a raw emotional element uh, to that. And it couldn't have worked had they not used that as a context for the Iceman character, used Val Kilmer's real-life struggles as a context for that character. Uh, And there's always a little bit of a danger in doing that, that you cheapen or that it becomes a, a, a trick or a ploy. And once again it was done so well and it felt so natural and so genuine and it felt like, Hey, this is an excellent way to, to uh, treat a beloved character and to bring back an actor who's been out of the game for a while. uh, But to still give him an important and key role, like he was a key figure in this, in this movie, uh, partially from the shadows. uh, But that, that scene with him directly was really, really good. Um, and that brings me to, that brings me to one of my final things. I think uh, Joseph Kaczynski is such an underrated director, and he hasn't done a ton of films, but he is so so good. Uh, especially now, I mean, this is this is kind of now his specialty, is taking uh, well loved past properties and creating excellent sequels to stand on top of them. Uh, he is the one who did Tron Legacy. And now he has done the same thing with Maverick and he's expertly done it in both cases, improving 
while using the originals, but crafting unique original stories. And I think uh, that is so, so difficult to do. And every, almost every single element of this from a directoral standpoint was done at an expert level. And I was just so impressed by that. Yeah, I'm very interested in seeing what opportunities he gets going forward mm -hmm. because it's clear that Tron was not just a um, flash in the pan. Yeah, uh, because this was excellent, excellently done. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I almost have a hard time thinking that anyone out, anyone outside of the people who made this movie, could have expected it to be as good. Yeah, as it ended up being. Yeah. So, what about any negatives? Uh, was there anything that you didn't like or didn't quite work for you? Um, I think one of the things that's hard to do in a movie like this, and it seems like it's always put into a movie like this, and I think you might talk about this a little bit too, is just fitting like a love interest slash love story angle into things. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, in this movie, I felt like it, I, I understood like the nostalgic factor of it, but it did feel kind of maybe rushed or not really worked out super well um like I, I feel like they wanted to have this big emotional payoff at the end when she showed up again and it for me it just it wasn't like this huge emotional moment you know what i mean because mm -hmm. I, I just didn't feel like there was a whole lot of background put into it right to to make it feel that much weight behind it yeah and that's and this is on a couple of elements, but I think the biggest negative for this movie is missing background context. Um, the movie takes place 35 years after the original and they don't do, in my opinion, they don't do quite enough to fill in the missing pieces between the characters in the intervening time. They give you a decent update as to what Maverick's been up to for the last 30 some years um, enough to be satisfied as it were. But what they don't do is provide any context between him and the, and the two main relationships in the film. And that's um, the one with Jennifer Connelly's character and more importantly, Heller's character. Um, my my biggest beef is is basically the tension between Miles Teller and Maverick. One naturally assumes it's going to be over the death of his father but they throw this other element in there of he pulled his papers from the Academy. And partly you're like, I don't even know exactly what it means to pull someone's papers from the Academy. And two, why is that? Why is that the reason he's upset at him and not the fact that he holds him responsible for his father? Like that's a much more natural fit for the audience, given the context that we have. And they don't do anything to kind of provide you with what was the relationship between these two characters in the intervening years? Like, was Maverick a big part of his life? Was he not a big part of his life? Was he just a character who shows up every once in a while? Like, you just get no context to that whatsoever. And I think that you spend half the film wondering what the, what the relationship is between them. And you know that it's tense, but you don't really have any context to it. And I think they could have fixed it even with a couple of lines. Like there's a scene where, where Miles Teller is explaining to one of the other pilots 
why he doesn't like Maverick and, and explains to him that like he pulled his papers from the Academy and like all you would have had to do was like add a couple lines of like, he was my father's wingman and I looked at him as a father character and he was always around and I trusted him. And, and then he went and did this to me. Like that would have almost been enough to correct some of that, but you just, you barely get any of it. Yeah. I think there's just uh, I think there's just an assumption laid on the audience there. And I think when you do that as a writer, that's um, a little bit lazy and a little bit dangerous because you don't know what people are going to put in the gap there. Yeah. Cause I feel like the audience was filling that tension gap with, Oh, he doesn't like him because he blames him for the death of his father. And they make most of it to be about pulling his papers from the Academy, which I, I thought was a little bit didn't quite work, but overall great film. Love it. Definitely think you should see it. Anything else? Um, I also think the soundtrack with uh, Hans Zimmer and Lady Gaga of all people. Lady Gaga. Yes. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's pretty impressive, and I think the uh, I really like the song that plays over the beginning of the movie and comes back a few times throughout the movie. Um, it's called "You're Being Called Back to Top Gun." Um, the instrumental thing with the bells hmm. that plays the very end. But I think it's a really good song. I think that it it really fits um, when when it comes around comes back around in the movie. Uh, it feels. And Hans Zimmer is just really good at this. It feels like it's a big deal. Like it feels like when you hear it, you know something is going to happen. Like it, it makes you feel an emotion. Yeah. Um, and not everybody's able to write music like that. Yeah. Hans Zimmer is one of the best. I mean, one of the absolute best. Um, and the only reason he didn't do the last, uh, the last Christopher Nolan movie was because he uh, had, uh, he agreed to do Dune. And so he spent his time on Dune instead of working with uh, Tenant. Uh, but he's really, really good. Okay. Well, that's our review of Top Gun Maverick. And uh, let's move on to our watch list. And for our watch list, we're going to do what to watch on Disney Plus and Peacock. And I will take Peacock, Rob will do Disney Plus, and we'll give you five movies on the streaming services that we would recommend for you to watch if you're looking for something to stream this week. Uh, Rob, we'll start with you. Uh, Disney Plus, what, what do you got for us? What should we watch? So obviously on Disney Plus, there's a lot of uh, family-friendly stuff. There's also some more adult-themed stuff as they have uh, started a new program that releases some of those things onto the service like West Side Story and um, some other things. Uh, my main focus of um, what I saw when I looked over things is more family oriented. Um, and that's not to say there's not great stuff on there that's a little more mature themed and certainly a lot of the I, I also think a lot of the series are like movie production quality. So I think you should also check out a bunch of those series that they put out. But for the purposes of podcasts, obviously, we're just talking about movies. Um, so the first one I would say is Isle of Dogs. Uh, Wes Anderson's uh, directed movie about dogs in uh, Japan um, on this island and their fight for survival um, after they've been cast out. And great, obviously, vocal cast 
mm-hmm. to this movie as you would expect. And I really like how Wes Anderson's animated stuff feels like Wes Anderson's live action stuff. It does. That's <laughs> like not an easy thing. I don't think to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just because of his style. Um, probably his style in writing. That's why it comes out so strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I like this movie. I, I love the dry humor. I just, this and fantastic. Mr. Fox are both excellent animated movies. So Isle of Dogs, I would definitely check out. Um, the next one I have on my list is National Treasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one kind of jumped out to me because it reminded me of something I watched this week, which I'll talk about when we get there. Um, but this is like, by no means is this a great movie, but it's such a fun movie to watch. Yeah, it's a good adventure. Um, Nicolas Cage is fantastic as his character. And a lot of the stuff in it would have absolutely no possibility of ever happening. And most of it is not real. But uh, the movie makes you feel like it's real. And it's great. And I love it. Um, uh, Two that I have kind of combined here. If you have not seen some of the recent animated uh, releases by Disney and Pixar, um, a couple on there, Luca um, and Encanto. Um, Luca being Pixar movie and Kanto being a Disney Animation Studios movie. Um, if you haven't had a chance to see either of those, I think they're both worth checking out. Um, both looking at what it really means to be a family from different perspectives. And they're both funny and my kids love them. So your kids will probably like them if you have kids. Um, so I recommend both of those and the art style both is really uh, enjoyable to watch and they're different. Uh, both movies have a different art style to them. Um, so I like to check out animation with different art styles. And obviously, I Love Dogs is different than both of those. So it's cool to see that. And then the last one is one I watched uh, a couple weeks ago, Chip and Dale, Rescue Rangers, a new movie. Mm. Um, John Mulaney and uh, Andy Samberg are the voices of Chip and Dale. And this movie is just like a nostalgia flood. <laughs> because there are so many references to and appearances by um, characters in other movies. And I think they do a pretty good job of utilizing all of them and making it interesting and not just throwing them in there just because. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's obviously not the original show. It actually starts after the original show ended, explaining what happened basically with Chip and Dale. Um, and why they're not friends anymore and bring them back together. And um, I certainly enjoyed that. And it was cool to see um, Chip and Dale back on the screen for a, another generation to check out. Yeah. So that's what I saw on Disney plus. Okay. Uh, I have Peacock. And when I look through the Peacock lineup, um, their movie caliber and movie library right now is really strong, actually. There's actually quite a few movies that are really, really good, including some that you probably missed in theaters uh, that are releasing exclusively on Peacock. Uh, So the first one fits into that category, and that's The Northman. The Northman is now streaming exclusively on Peacock. Most people missed this movie because it did not do really well in the box office, but it is really, really good. Uh, Excellent Viking period uh, movie. It has a lot of depth 
to it. Uh, it's gritty. It's intense. Uh, really well done. I really like The Northman. It's one of my favorite movies of the year so far. So if you did not get a chance to see it, definitely check it out on Peacock. Uh, the second one is one uh, that's on my list to watch this week, and that's The Outfit. Uh, and this is a Mark Rylance uh, kind of thriller spy film uh, that was recently in theaters. And I really, really wanted to see it in theaters, but I did not get a chance to it. Uh, uh, so I think this is, he plays a tailor who's involved in, um, in some plots that uh, get him into a lot of trouble. And, and so I'm really looking forward to, for, to checking this one out. Um, and Mark Rylance is an excellent actor. Uh, uh, then my third one is 1917. 1917 is streaming on Peacock. And this is, we talked about, uh, we talked about war movies a couple of weeks ago for Memorial Day. And this is one of the best of all time. And it's, it's it features World War One heavily into what it was like in the trench warfare and so so well directed by sam mendez excellent visuals from roger deakins and it, like we said then it's a, it was designed to be filmed as a single shot action sequence and that gives it a very very unique look and pacing to it and it's just it's incredible uh Thirdly, going in a different direction, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. Uh, this was a great, great character study about persistence and perseverance in a guy who's, who has, uh, who's completely down on his, on his luck and how he turns it around. And it's, it's just, it's, it's an emotional movie, uh, but it's a great, great character study. And then uh, I have... Uh, We'll go with uh, Tower Heist. If you're looking for a, for a fun comedy, Tower Heist, Eddie Murphy, um, um, Ben Stiller, you have Casey Affleck. Uh, really, really well done. Alan Alda's in this too. It's funny. It's interesting. It's kind of adventure, kind of comedy. It's a kind of a heist movie. Uh, it is a heist movie. Uh, but it's really, it's just, it's got all the elements to it. It's just a fun, enjoyable movie, especially if you're looking for like a family, a family movie, not like with younger kids, but like if you have teenagers or anything along those lines, it's, it's a, it's a good movie. Uh, something for everybody in that. So that's what we got on Peacock. So now we'll just do, we'll quickly, cause we got about, you know, five minutes or so. Uh, we'll go through what we watched last week. Rob, what'd you watch? Um, so obviously I saw, uh, Top Gun. We talked about that. Um, I also watched the Northman again mm. and I really like this movie too. So I will echo what Ryan said that if you have an opportunity to, you should check mm. it out. Um, uh, it's certainly not for everyone. If you're not into, um, like intense at times, gory, just like raw kind of, stuff then you probably won't like it yeah very much but if you're into that if you're into drama um into good storytelling then it's definitely for you um i also watched for the first time uncharted ah, okay. um, last night with tom holland and uh, mark Wahlberg. and like i said earlier that was uh the impetus for me to, to select national treasure for my disney plus list because 
it reminded me a lot of National Treasure. Okay. Um, and I I feel kind of the same about it that it wasn't really that great of a movie, but it was still a lot of fun to watch. And I'm interested in seeing if they do more um, with these characters. Obviously, Tom Holland is not exactly what you think of when you think of that character. Um, in the video games, he's much more big and older and just more of a tough guy <laughs> than Tom Holland is. But I think he does a, an admirable job of filling um, the role and growing into it as the movie progresses. So I'm interested in seeing um, what they do going forward because they certainly set up the possibility of there being other movies in the future with how they ended it and the scenes at, in and after the credits. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, for me, I rewatched No Time to Die. And I, I'm I'm trying to assess where this film is going to rank in terms of Daniel Craig Bond movies for me. And what I found myself, this is the third time I've seen it. And I found myself like, I'm still drawn to the emotional elements of it. But the visuals and and the the length of the the final ending scene i start to get a little bit bored with it like i don't love the visuals to the to of them in that bunker like i i just don't like it as much as on the on the third watching as i did the first time now the emotional elements still work uh the drama still works but i just don't i am not as drawn to that ending sequence as i have been to some of the other ones uh, and I watched the original Top Gun. It's been on quite a bit, as we know. And I'm surprised at how well that movie still holds up, given how old it is uh, and how it's still engaging and interesting. Um, yeah. I, so, yeah, I was compelled. I was compelled to watch the original again after seeing that one. But if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's 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 available on a lot of different places and it's probably on TV right now. <laughs> uh, so to close out i just want to tell you about a, a deal that's coming up uh, paramount plus is actually offering a free month of streaming for everybody if you use the the promo cards code south park uh kind of to promo their new south park movie they've got coming out but all caps south park if you're looking for that most trials are seven days this one you can get for a month so you get an awful lot of opportunity to explore a lot of content on paramount plus uh, so if you're interested in that, check that out, code South Park. All right, that is the episode. We will have to get to three-hour movies next time, which we will. Uh, but that is the episode for you today. Make sure you check out Film for Fans, where we're going to put up our recommendations for Disney Plus and Peacock. Also, the review of Tom uh, Gun Maverick is on there, plus plenty of other content for you to check out. So make sure you go to filmforfans.com and tell your friends about the podcast, share it with them. Visit our YouTube channel, any of that type of stuff. Until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>